Hello, and a very happy 2020 to you. Welcome to our third episode of Regulation in Focus, our regular Herbert Smith Freehills podcast series of short, sharp insights into regulatory issues that matter to you. I'm Kim Everett, a professional support lawyer here in the Financial Services Regulatory Team in London. And in this series, I'll be joined by my colleagues across the globe, bringing you incisive views and commentary on regulatory issues and developments. Today, I'm joined by my co-host, Pat Horton, who's also a PSL in our Financial Services Regulatory Team and specializes in non-contentious matters. In this episode, we'll be discussing the role that equivalents might play in accessing EU markets after Brexit and why it may not be the panacea for all of the UK's market access-related ills. We're delighted to be joined by off-council Catherine Dillon and Associate Emma Reid, both from our non-contentious financial services regulatory practice in London. Catherine and Emma are experts in regulatory matters across a wide range of sectors and they've regularly been advising on Brexit-related implications for financial services firms over the past few years. So Emma, we've had a general election. The Conservative Party has a pretty hefty majority and it appears the withdrawal agreement is finally going to go through smoothly. Can you explain a bit about where we are in that process and what that means for the financial services industry? Sure. Following the election results in December and resulting shift in the composition in Parliament, the Withdrawal Agreement Bill has come back to life in the UK and was passed in the House of Commons on 9th of January. It's currently making its way through the House of Lords. In addition to the bill receiving royal assent, which needs to happen for it to become UK law, the Withdrawal Agreement must also be ratified by the European Parliament before the UK can be said to leave with a deal. Although impossible to completely guarantee at the moment of recording, at the moment all signs currently point to the UK leaving the EU at 11pm 31st of January with a deal, triggering the start of the transitional period. Firms will no doubt be breathing a sigh of relief that the possibility of a no-deal exit at the end of January is now remote. However, it's worth noting that the deal as currently agreed only creates a transitional period which will maintain the status quo until the end of December 2020. Many commentators have noted that 11 months will not give either side enough time to agree a detailed trade agreement, setting out the future relationship. Without a comprehensive new trade agreement in place by the end of the year, by which we mean here an agreement which includes how both parties intend to deal with financial services on an ongoing basis, the transitional period only delays the cliff edge of UK and EU firms losing reciprocal access to each other's markets overnight. Even with the deal, we've essentially only kicked the can down the road. Given the UK government's current commitment not to extend the transitional period to give more time for a more fulsome trade agreement, firms should take into account the possibility of a cliff edge as part of their wider Brexit planning. In this wider context, equivalence is often mentioned as one of the solutions to firms' loss of passporting rights, the rights which currently permit regulated firms to carry on their activities into the EU from the UK and vice versa, without needing separate authorisation from each and every member state. While there are of course benefits under the equivalence regime, which we'll come on to shortly, there are also challenges and limitations which mean it is far from a perfect solution. As you say, equivalence is frequently cited as the preferred solution to the problem of EU market access restrictions. A quick and easy mutual decision and then off we go. But surely it isn't quite so simple as all that. Emma, do you mind explaining a bit more about how equivalence works and why it might be seen as a simple, useful tool? So equivalence is the process by which authorities in the EU recognise that the regulatory or supervisory regime of a third country under a particular piece of legislation is equivalent to the corresponding EU regime. As described by the European Commission in a recent publication, 
Equivalence involves the positive assessment of the third country framework, which enables European reliance on third country rules and the work of the third country supervisor. A decision of equivalence requires a case-by-case -case assessment of the third country rules, and the outcome of the decision will be driven by the principle of proportionality and the need to manage the risks related to the cross-border activity. Now, a third country regulatory regime does not need to be identical to the EU's, but it does need to ensure the full outcomes of the EU regulatory framework. Of course, it's worth noting that immediately post-Brexit, the UK's regime will be the most equivalent in the world due to the common rule books for financial services which are developed over time. Equivalence is granted at state level, not individual firm level, and can be time limited. Once granted, there will be ongoing monitoring and reviewing by the EU, and ultimately the EU has the unilateral ability to revoke its decision. We'll come back to the significance of this point shortly. The key benefit of an equivalence decision is that it can reduce overlaps in compliance requirements by third country firms, and therefore simplifies the provision of cross-border services and products, which comes back to this issue of retaining market access as a solution post-Brexit. Firms from third countries for which an equivalence decision has been made do not need to comply with two sets of rules, or can comply with a lighter touch regime, meaning the regulatory barriers to market access are lower. However, there are several sectors for which equivalence is not contemplated under the current regulatory framework, meaning equivalence as a regime will not preserve the same market access across all industries. Thanks, Emma. C Catherine, where do you think we're likely to see equivalence as a helpful solution? And where do you think we'll encounter market access issues that equivalence won't help to resolve? So to put this in context, it is worth noting that equivalence under um, EU legislation overall for financial services is more established as a mechanism for prudential benefits and less so for market access where it's quite fragmented. However, equivalence can be helpful in providing market access for UK firms um, if judged equivalent um, in the wholesale trading and investment and also asset management sectors. So for, for wholesale trading and investment, for example, under MIFID, this will likely assist with um, cross-border securities trading, investment advice, for example. Currently, there are some local regimes which also allow firms to carry on activities under lighter touch regimes. But where equivalence is granted, this would grant market-wide access to EU firms, where they could take a consistent approach to providing investment activities uh, to institutional and large corporate clients. To take another example, under the Alternative Investment Fund Managers Directive, um, the marketing and management cross-border of non-retail of alternative investment firms um, will be possible in principle where there's a finding of equivalence which could make it easier for UK fund managers to market and to manage funds on a cross-border basis. However, this is only if the third country passport provisions provided for under that legislation are activated, and this is a big if. Currently, it's likely that firms will continue to rely on existing delegation provisions under AFMD. Um, and existing national private placement regimes that are available in some jurisdictions as the preferred short-term solution in the absence of any equivalence decisions. Cross-border access to market infrastructure is another area uh, where equivalence can bring and has shown to bring real benefits for allowing firms to um, provide cross-border clearing and settlement services and providers to be authorised or, or registered to, to provide services to EU firms. Um, this is an area that's obviously seen as sufficient importance by the EU to grant temporary equivalence decisions for no deal purposes 
although these will be somewhat moot uh, now that we're likely to have an overall transitional period. Even in the cross-border trading and investment sectors, however, equivalence has got some very prominent gaps. Uh, so for retail markets, um, there are there's there is nothing under MIFID that would allow equivalence on a consistent basis for firms that are looking to access retail clients or indeed elective professional clients, um, so more sophisticated investors, for example. And provision of retail investment services may be possible in some jurisdictions where a branch is established locally, um, but not on a, on a more extensive basis and at the discretion of, of national member states. Um, for investment funds, as I mentioned, the uh, AFMD passport for third country marketing and management has not been activated, and the USITS directive for retail funds doesn't include any equivalence provisions at all. Um, that comes on to also a more fundamental gap um, which exists for banking and payment services. So there are equivalence provisions under banking legislation that enable preferential capital treatment for firms' transactions with counterparties in equivalent jurisdictions. And of course, this will be critical to cross-border banking and investment activity, but it does nothing to solve the bigger gap of total market access solutions for banking services. So what do you think the EU's general orientation will be to issues of equivalence? Because given what we know about how the EU is treating further harmonisation of uh, financial services legislation, strengthening of the single market, the banking union, the capital markets union, it doesn't seem that the EU would be inclined to make the equivalence decision process any friendlier for the UK. Well, certainly you're right that the, the signals from the capital markets union and the direction of travel under most recent EU legislation is uh, not the friendliest. Um, I mean, in addition to some of the constraints under the current EU legislation, uh, the um, impending direction of travel indicates that there's further restrictions for the UK um, and for UK firms to consider. Um, so one example which was passed in December is the um, Investment Firms Directive and, and Regulation, which is the new legislative package that reforms the prudential rules for investment firms. Now what that also does is to introduce a series of um, quote-unquote consequential amendments to MIFIA, um, the MIFID regime, to, to tighten the supervision of third country firms providing cross-border investment services under MIFID um, and so uh, to make the process and conditions for obtaining and maintaining equivalence stricter. Uh, so the European Commission must perform for firms from um, jurisdictions that are likely to have a systemic impact on the EU a detailed and granular assessment um, of the uh, equivalence of the legislation. Now as Emma mentioned the UK's legislation post-Brexit will be the most equivalent in the world, but that's not to say that political considerations won't come into play. If equivalence is granted to the UK, then the um, reporting and the uh, monitoring and enforcement powers of ESMA for firms operating under the MIFIA equivalence cross-border access regime are also strengthened, which makes equivalence easier to remove and um, more onerous in, in principle to, to maintain. Another one is, um, which, which goes back to the Capital Markets Union initiative that you mentioned, Kim, is the um, omnibus regulation. What that does is to strengthen and amend the powers of the European supervisory authorities in various ways. Um, one of which is to increase their powers on, uh, in monitoring third countries for which equivalence decisions have already been made on an ongoing basis. 
Um, although some of the most onerous provisions originally proposed have not made it into the final text uh, of the legislation, it does allow um, authorities such as ESMA in principle to prevent EU firms from interacting in certain ways with, with third country uh, firms, so outsourcing or delegating to non-EU entities in addition to the um, provisions around enhanced monitoring and enforcement. In addition to this, and coming back to a point that Emma made, the, um, the very real possibility of equivalence being withdrawn um, has, has raised its head lately with the repeals of previously granted equivalence decisions. This includes the temporary Swiss equivalence for purposes of the MIFIA trading obligation, which was not renewed, and this was a surprise to the market being somewhat unexpected. Um, there are also five repeals under the credit rating a agency regulation of equivalence decisions for Canada, Singapore and Australia, among others. Um, while that decision was, was less unexpected, these repeals are nonetheless striking because they highlight the political and discretionary nature of equivalence decisions and the vulnerabilities um, of countries that have received equivalence, even where they have well-established and international standards compliant financial services regulatory regimes, um, which can be seen by the EU to diverge from the outcomes expected under uh, equivalence decision making. Thanks, Catherine. You've highlighted some complex issues there. Emma, what's your perspective on equivalence? Just as the UK will be seeking access to EU markets through equivalence, surely EU member states will also be seeking access to UK markets through equivalence? Absolutely. Given the nature of equivalence, we've focused so far mainly on the EU perspective, but the UK perspective is also important. Not least because the UK will also have its own equivalence decisions to make. Andrew Bailey, in his State of Play speech from September last year, noted that reciprocal equivalence would be the UK's authorities' preferred approach to solve some of the challenging issues arising from Brexit, including, for example, the complex issues around the shared trading obligation. One of the other key points the SCA has noted is their preference, unsurprisingly, for equivalence decisions to not be politically driven. In a speech given in October 2019, Nasa Delphus commented that equivalence decisions should be based on technical assessments and should be considered on an outcomes basis rather than line-by-line -line regulatory alignment. It's too early to know whether the EU will accept this approach, but provisions requiring a detailed and granular assessment could suggest otherwise, at least for some regimes. In terms of timing, the UK is keen to get the equivalence decisions in place swiftly after the UK officially leaves the EU. In a letter to the House of Commons European Scrutiny Committee last October, John Glenn, the Economic Secretary to the Treasury, stated that the government is attempting to conclude equivalence assessments with the EU by June 2020. While this seems ambitious, this stretching timeframe was restated in a more recent presentation to the Council Working Party published by the European Commission, which noted that the parties should endeavour to conclude assessments by this point. Just how feasible all this will be remains to be seen. Indeed. I think as with all things related to Brexit, we are in for some uncertain times ahead. Um, so equivalence may be a helpful solution to market access issues in some areas like wholesale trading and investment in asset management. Um, we can see that in other areas like retail and banking, there are more complex access issues and equivalence is not available. What's more, Equivalence decisions can be political in nature and subject to unilateral withdrawal by the EU. And taking a step back, it seems as though the EU and UK may take a different approach to the equivalence decision process itself. For example, the EU is more likely to be granular and detailed in its assessment 
and that will be versus the UK's focus on outcomes rather than a line-by-line -line regulatory alignment. Well, these issues are clearly complex, so we'd encourage you to get in touch with Catherine or Emma or any of our regulatory experts to discuss these further. Thanks to Catherine and Emma for joining us today. We'll be back with another episode of Regulation in Focus soon. Thanks for listening and bye for now.